Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Welcome. Today, it is my great honor to introduce my guest. He's a fly fishing guide, outfitter with Dixon to the Point Charters, focusing in Montuck and the Florida Keys. He began one of the first Orvis saltwater fly fishing schools. On top of that, he introduced the first gifts in the Hamptons. He's a conservationist and also a big sound of applause because he's receiving the Isaac Walton Award from the American Fly Fishing Museum. Welcome to the show, Paul Dixon. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, Lauren, that was uh, very nice, very nice. <laughs> it's great to be with you guys. And uh, with an introduction like that, I know that you have some fishing stories that you can share with us today. Boy, I don't know. I got uh, <laughs> plenty of fishing stories. I'm, I'm hopefully heading out here in a, a little bit to add to more stories. We're going tarpon fishing. I'm down in Key West right now. Geez, I can think of a zillion, you know, stories. The Florida Keys, uh, you know, up at Montauk and the the uh, fall run, the, the striped bass that we do up there. Um, you know, I, I've since I'm in the Florida Keys, I'll tell you a quick one about, uh, you know, years past that I had. I used to work out of this uh, uh, club that actually sits in the middle of Biscayne National Park uh, up in Key Largo. And, uh, and so one day we had a, a group come in and, uh, 
And so they divided up the, you know, the, uh, the group between the five guides that were at the dock there. And I got this guy that came up to me and he was a fly fisherman and, and I'd heard that he was pretty good. And, and, uh, and he introduced himself as two dogs. Audio went out on this one, but how two dogs got his name is that he told a joke in high school about two dogs getting it on. From then on, all of his friends called him Two Dogs. And to this day, Paul still doesn't know his real name. So anyway, so we were going out tarpon fishing. And so Two Dogs and I go out and we go to a, a local spot there called Curtis Point. And, uh, and I thought that we might see some tarpon because the moon phase was right and everything else. And he had voiced that he wanted to maybe catch a tarpon or something. So anyway, so we... Uh, we actually staked out. It was a little bit windy and everything, so I'm staked out there, and and the tarpons start, you know, pouring down the beach, and and I'm, uh, you know, talking to them, and we're, you know, throwing at the fish, and we're having a great time, and they're, you know, there's a school here and a school there and everything else, and and he's, you know, one of the funniest guys you'd ever meet. And next thing, I, I turn around, and I said, two dogs, you got a, a school coming at you, eleven o'clock, about ninety feet out." Start casting, you know, just <laughs> when they get close, just drop the fly in front of them. So anyway, so he, he does and he drops it in front and I say, wait, 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 wait. They're coming. They're coming. And the lead fish goes up and grabs his fly and he hooks the thing. And it was an extreme high tide. So we were very close to the shoreline. And there was this stick or this tree that stuck out over the the shoreline and the tarpon rockets out of the water and jumps over the top of the the branch sticking out of the tree and takes off and i'm like oh my god we're, we're hooked in the tree we're hooked two dogs two dogs he said hold my rod hold my rod so i you know hold his rod and he strips all of his clothes off and he dives in the water and he swims <laughs> to shore and he climbs up in the tree and i've got the fish pretty well like free spooling so he climbs up in the tree and he gets it undone he dives back in the water he jumps up in the boat and this is about 12 noon so i hand him the rod he starts naked on the front of the boat and all the other boats are coming back to the ocean reef club you know on their half day charter routine so I'm fighting this tarpon that's out in front of two dogs jumping like a maniac and he's all naked. And as the other boats are going by, they're staring because they've got the members of the club and they're looking at two dogs naked on the front of the boat fighting this tarpon. So needless to say, we end up landing the thing. We actually take a picture of him naked with his tarpon. And when I get back to the dock, Everybody's like, so we see you've met two dogs. Quite a character, isn't he? So anyway, <laughs> but that's one of the, you know, the stories just offhand that comes to mind. Old two dogs. I was going to ask you if you took a picture of this event, but do you still have it? No, actually he does. He actually <laughs> sent it to me later or whatever, but uh, I, I don't have, I'm not sure how I'd show that one around. <laughs> Gotta hide the evidence. Plus, you don't need that picture to post on your website for future clients. Right, right. <laughs> so tell me, Paul, you share your time between uh, Montauk and the Florida Keys. What made you decide to call those two places your home waters? 
Well, you know, it's sort of funny. Uh, you know, I, I've been fly fishing since I was, you know, a kid. I started in Idaho. I, my family always fished. And, uh, and I grew up in Newport Beach in California. And so uh, I started fly fishing on a summer uh, thing. I worked at a tennis and ski shop and a guy had sold it and he bought a hunting and fishing camp in Idaho. And he asked me for a summer job. I had just gotten out of high school if I wanted to come up and, and you know, go up to Idaho and work on his camp. So I did, and all these old timers from the uh, the San Francisco Casting Club were there. And at the time, I didn't fly fish, but they said, "Kid, we don't spin fish here; we fly fish." So <laughs> these old timers taught me how to fly fish, and I just fell in love with it, and just thought it was the greatest thing since popcorn. So uh, when I moved out uh, east, uh, I ended up going and. And, you know, searching in those days, there was the striped bass were had disappeared. But it was one of the the fish, you know, that I'd always, you know, dreamt of catching. And, and I'd actually caught them in California on a sojourn in Back Bay where I grew up in Newport Beach. And, and I caught them in lakes and everything else. So, you know, when I saw that the thing that I liked about the East when I first came here and I, I had met my ex-wife on a, a blind date in London. And her family was from here. So that's why I started coming out. When I came out to the Hamptons and Montauk in the first, I couldn't believe that you could literally walk out your door and go hunting and fishing. So to me, this was like, you know, it was like Mecca. So um, so anyway, so I started fishing the, um, uh, the Hamptons a lot. In those days, the striped bass had actually disappeared. But they put a moratorium on them for 10 years and by the time, it took me about four or five years before I caught my first one. And at the time, I wanted to become involved in, uh, you know, in fly fishing. I just, you know, it was a passion. I just had to do something. So I started working at Orchid. Sorry, technical difficulties. The audio dropped. So what he just said, that he ran the fly fishing department of Orvis, New York for five years. Resume listening. Fishing, and then I wanted to start my own store years later, you know, early 90s. And the striper, coincidentally, in that in that time period, had made this the greatest conservation success story of all time. They came roaring back. And so, uh, so we started doing the stripers, and I started guiding, you know, for striped bass. And one of the things that we noticed, and I was always told that stripers were in deep water, and you had to fish them at night and everything else. And and I didn't really know any better. I just went on the beaches and stuff during the day, and, and I started seeing them. And so we decided when we started our business and started by, I had a store that I started out in East Hampton, and, and I also bought a skiff and became a guide. And the, I bought a, a flat skiff because we were seeing them during the day. So uh, at those days, everybody thought you were crazy and you know, that it wasn't, uh, you know, stripers or nocturnal and, you know, so, um, so anyway, but, but when you came and saw it, people were blown away. So we started inviting <laughs> friends and, and people to come and see it. And in fact, I, a friend of mine, the John Applenap, who owned Walker's K, he and I became very good friends. His family owned Walker's. And so we we both started doing this out there. We both started, you know, had skiffs and stuff. 
And he said, we should show this to Lefty Craig. He should see this, man. And John was producing the Walker's Cake Chronicles for uh, with Flip Pallet. So we invited Lefty up and a bunch of Lefty's uh, friends came, Bob Popovix and Nick Curcione and, you know, just all sorts. And we started this Pirates Party thing. And it grew into something and word started spreading. And... Uh, and then a, a couple of years later, I met Flip Pallet through through John, and uh, and so you know we decided to you know start a uh, you know do a show or something up there. And at the same time, I got a call from the Ocean Reef Club uh, from a guy saying, you know, by this time I had quite the clientele because I was so close to New York City, and and uh, and so. The, the guy was starting an Outfitters at the Ocean Reef Club, and he said, look, would you consider coming down here and uh, working with us and bringing your clients and stuff down here? So I came down and met with him, and I thought, you know, that beat shoveling snow in the winter. And uh, and so, and I dreamt of it. You know, the first, the first videos that I, I, you know, when I saw Billy Pate's videos back in the 80s and, and Stu Apt and everything else, uh, you know, that really sparked in me is that I got to do that. I want to go, you know, tarpon fishing. I want to go bone fishing and everything. So this was, you know, sort of an, an introduction and a way to do it. So I came down to the Ocean Reef Club and I started guiding down here. And that was 20, I don't even know how many years ago. So that's how we've been back and forth. Now I look at it that I'm, you know, older, and it's, it's like, boy, that was the best thing I ever did, <laughs> you know? <laughs> the so, best of both worlds. Yeah, so it's it's been a, a great journey, and, you know, I've been really fortunate that, uh, you know, I've met a lot of people, and, and uh, you know, and they, they, you know, it's funny because I was very afraid to come down here, and when I first asked Flip about it, you know, I could tell he was hesitant because, you know, it was in those days, you know, you didn't see guides traveling, you know, going into other areas. But, you know, the, the secret of the guide business is, as you come to find out, it's the number of days that you're working. And in mm-hmm. the Northeast, you're lucky if you can, you know, get in 90 days. But in order to make a living, and especially in, you know, areas like the Hamptons that are expensive and the Keys and stuff, you know, you have, it's all about the number of days that a guide works. So, you know, uh, I had to have more days. And so it, uh, it gave me those extra days that, you know, and, and at that time, when I, would, when I was going full time at the Ocean Reef and up north, I was doing close to 300 days a year, Jeez. which is, you know, is sort of burnout. But uh, <laughs> we, we try to calm it down now. Yeah, I was actually curious. Are you feeling a little burned out working that much? I mean, do you feel that retirement is in your cards or are you going to keep doing this until your body says no more? Well, you know, it's it's funny asset, Lauren. I mean, you, you, you think about it because physically it's very physically demanding. Uh, yes. So, you know, I have a, a routine that, you know, I have to constantly work out and, and uh, you know, in the, in the off season, my off season is usually that, you know, November, December, January, you know, and then it starts up again. So, and when you're polling, that is my workout session, you know, but otherwise, you know, the, 
you know, the older you get, the you know, you really got to, you know, health and everything else comes into play. Uh, I would like to think that I would never retire because it's sort of what I do. And it's, you know, it's my passion. I love doing it. So I'll probably do it as long, you know, until they they take the skip away from you. I know you, so are there more people in the Hamptons doing what you're doing with the skiffs or are you still just one of the very few outfitters that are doing that? No, there's a ton. You know, when I first started out in Montauk, I was the only, you know, I mean, it it was, uh, it was great because it was myself and the surf casters, you know, and so, uh, you know, it, it, it's really changed because fly fishing exploded. You know, when I first started, yeah. it's like, you know, after the movie, a river runs through it, you know, it, it sort of inundated the, the rivers and, and uh, streams and everything, you know, with people. But soon after that, the people started realizing that, you know, that you could saltwater fly fish and it was right in your own backyards and stuff. So the the growth and everything really sort of uh, exploded. So, you know, it's it's been sort of unbelievable. I never thought, you know, I really thought I was going to make my living, you know, from the store, not from really guiding. And it was actually the exact opposite. You know, the guiding <laughs> just took off and, and uh, you know, but it's, it, it, you know, one day you, you wake up and it's, you know, years later, but it's, it's been great, you know. It's been a great ride. And I, like I said, a lot of the that I really like about the business itself is the, uh, you know, is the people you meet. You know, there's just wonderful people in the in the sport, and you know, all walks of life, and and uh, and it takes you to beautiful places. You know, I've been all over the world fly fishing, and it's it's given me the opportunity to you know, travel the world. A lot of people that, you know, I've got a very wealthy clientele and and they share the same passion. And so, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities to go fishing with them where they want to share the experience. And, and, uh, you know, I've taken groups to the Seychelles and to Mexico and Belize. And, you know, uh, like I said, I've, I've really had the opportunity to, you know, fly fish around the world. So, you know, it's, it's the people that have made it, you know, uh, really enjoyable and really why I, you know, continue on. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because environmentally, you know, after 25 years in the business and everything else, you know, I, that's why I guess, you, you know, I've got two sons and you become a conservationist because, um, yeah. you know, you see the environment, you know, Florida, I've watched Florida change in 20 years and the same thing up north, you know. Uh, you know, and it's really pronounced now, you know, there's just more people on the water. There's more activity. I never saw paddle boards in Montauk and, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, what jet skis and this and that and everything else, you know, come with more people and many more people kayaking and outdoors and using the, uh, you know, the, the great outdoors, you know, they're enjoying it more. So, you know, there's a lot more people out there now. So, uh, and, and, you know, development stuff, you know, uh, for me, it's, it's about having the future for the kids to, you know, to my sons being able to enjoy what I've seen and everything. And so, you know, it sort of turned into, uh, you know, a lot of 
the reason that I've, you know, become, um, you know, conservation involved, you know, with BTT and the Atlantic Salmon Federation and American Saltwater Guides Association and stuff is because, you know, you almost feel like you have to protect things. You know, we're having problems with the yeah. stripers again. The uh, the Keys has experienced some habitat degradation and, you know, loss and well, I feel like it's a double-edged sword because you want people to be connected to nature, but then also you like don't want too many people being connected at nature at the same time. So you're like, oh, get out there, enjoy the outdoors, but let's try and not everyone do it all at the same time. Like, I guess it's one of those things, like you said, I have young kids too, and I want to make sure that they can enjoy the waters. But sometimes, gosh, in Montana, you go fishing on the weekend. I mean, you're seeing boats just lining down the Clark Fork and the Bitterroot. So yeah, it's, but also you want them to enjoy it because that's why you live here. Right. And that's why you're in the Florida Keys and the Hamptons to go fishing with people. So I can, I can understand that, but. um, You you bring up a great point, you know, in the days of COVID right now, you know, if you want to see a change and how things can change very quickly and everything last year, when they shut down the Florida Keys, you know, because of the COVID scare, they didn't allow yeah. crew. They didn't allow anybody and everything else. And it was amazing how things came back, <laughs> how the fishing got, and how the you know, and and it and it's worked in exact opposite in in you know since it was opened up in the pandemic. And you know, you notice probably in Montana, you know, the the rivers are jammed. The you know, and mm-hmm. all places that are outdoors and stuff now it's because people want to enjoy it. I think they've reevaluated lives. And, you know, when it was closed down, it was insane down here how good the fishery came back. And, and the, wow. you know, it was, you know, but at the same time, the minute they opened it up, it got inundated again, you know, because mm-hmm. everybody's like, okay, I'm going to a place where I can, you know, be outside <laughs> yeah. and enjoy it, you know. And now a brief message from our sponsors. Here at CDUSA, we have owned nearly every brand of fly rod throughout our 30-year careers as guides and globetrotting anglers. When we discovered Composite Development's flagship fly rods, the XL2 and the ICT2, we uncovered a secret harbored by the Kiwis for four decades. Born from Japanese Torei, CD's unique manufacturing process involves winding the graphite fibers inside the blank, negating heavy thread wraps at the end of each section creating a lighter and more durable fly rod. Check out the XLS2 and the ICT2 at your local CD USA dealer or go to cd-fishing.us and remember to go fishing. Speaking about your conservation, yeah. I mean, you are receiving an amazing award called the Isaac Walton Award from the American Museum of Fly Fishing. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Um, and I mean, congratulations, that's that's huge. Uh, well, I, you know, the... I was sort of, you know, floored myself. You know, they approached me and said, we'd like to, you know, give you the Isaac Walton Award. It's like, wow, you know, and and they <laughs> said, oh, well, you know, you're sort of, you know, I hate to use the word legend because basically what it means is that you're the oldest guy in the room. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh but, you know, I mean, I'm honored and humbled, you know, it's it's really nice and it's nice to be recognized, you know. I, you know, I'm just a guide. I, I, I uh, 
you know, I never thought that, you know, I, I just loved being out there and I loved every day was a new day. I mean, I, since I was a kid, it was like going lizard hunting or going, you know, I, I was always that way. And I just, you know, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to, you know, do, pursue my passion and make a living at it. And, you know, it, like now it's, it's great to be recognized, but it's like, you know, for for what you know it's one day you wake up and, you know it's like wow well that's you know it's awfully nice and it's it's great stuff but you know it's humbling i just you know i i fished and i fought for what i believed in and you know i could see it way back when too you know i grew up in california and where i grew up in newport when i was a kid i would turn around from my mother's house and it was rolling hills you know and it was just this back bay area it was orange groves and it was and and within really within 10 years the the Irvine company uh, was sold and, and sold to a developer and literally within 10 15 years you know as far as the eye can see is, is tile roofs and the same thing has happened in Florida and its development and everything else so you know it's seeing these these changes and and seeing the like I said with the striped bass, you know, I thought, oh my God, what a what a conservation store. But you know, once again, after fifteen years, they 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 did some. It was mismanaged, and now the striper has fallen off the cliff again because of overfishing. So way back when, I just you know when these hearings were going on and they wanted to switch from. Uh, one fish at 36 inches and then they wanted to go lower the limit to 28 inches we fought it and they did it and then they wanted to put two fish at 28 inches we fought it and they did it anyway and then they increased the commercial catch and and everything else and then mother nature you know had some bad spawning years and the next thing you know we're in trouble you know and so it's, it's just sort of the nature of the thing. So you get out and you you try to fight the things that you believe in and everything. And I just believed it was the right thing to do. And it's, you know, and that's why I say it's nice to be recognized, but it's fighting for what you believe in. And, you know, it's it, it's great that the museum's doing this. I, like I said, I'm really humbled and everything. It's, you know, but it seems like, you know, like I said, I've been doing it. For years and all of a sudden you wake up and you know, you're, you're the old guy and they said, wow, you've been doing this for years. So, But I feel like that's also like a reflection on just your commitment to what you love and what you're doing. So you don't go and do something because the result of like, oh, I'm going to do this so that years and years in the future, I'm going to receive this Isaac Walton award. I mean, it's just the fact that you were living the way that you wanted to live and based on your passion with um, conservation, with the um, stripers and tarpon and everything, like there's your, there's a reward is that like people are recognizing that you're make you're a voice for the fish. And I think that's awesome. So what does this award look like? Are you going to get your face in the museum? Like, how does it, how is it going to go down? You know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the award looks like. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I assume that that is so, we're actually on, uh, you know, March 11th. Uh, they're doing the American Museum of Fly Fishing. You know, they're presenting the war. And Andy Mill, who's a, a very famous tarpon fisherman and one of the biggest tournament winners, is emceeing it. 
And we've got Bob Popovics, who is a world-renowned saltwater fly tire and a very, very good friend and, and another good friend from California that's big in the world of, of saltwater fly fishing, Nick Curcione. You know, but they're all friends, you know, and so yeah. we said, all right, let's just have a, you know, a, I guess it's going to be like a, a Zoom thing in the days of COVID now. And uh, I think I'm going to get roasted is what it's going to be, really. <laughs> <laughs> so can anyone watch this award ceremony happen or is it just for a particular group of people that can go on to the zoo? No, no, it's open to the public. It's, you know, the, <laughs> the American Museum of Fly Fishing is a great thing. You know, I think it was, mm-hmm. it, it's up uh, by the Orvis headquarters. It was started by a bunch of, you know, of, of people that wanted to hold the history of fly fishing. You know, and so they've really done a great job, you know, over the years. And not only do they have a fabulous collection and the history, and they've tried to document, you know, many things. I mean, it's really an honor. I've watched the, the museum for years now. Friends have been inducted. Popovics is, is part of it. I think Curcion is too, you know. So, I mean, it's it's real honor. And anybody can watch this thing. It's like I said, 7 o'clock, March 11th, American Museum of Fly Fishing. And it's just, we're going to have some fun, I hope. That's uh, that's the, the gig. Oh, I'm going to mark that on my calendar, March 11th, right? At uh, yeah. is, is that Eastern time? I believe so, yes. Okay. Well, I'll double check on that. But that is so exciting. Congratulations. Oh, um, so you. when you're out, um, I'm also curious, Paul, so like when you're out in the East Coast, uh, what kind of fly are you throwing at these, these stripers? Or also, I mean, I guess in the Keys, what are you throwing at the tarpon? What's your favorite pattern? Well, you know, I can't say any favorite pattern, but I can tell you, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I can. I, I throw, you know, there's different segments of the of the stripe. What we're known for in the striper fishing world, really, is the sight fishing forum. And, and to me, any fish that you can sight fish and watch them eat the fly is, is worthy of pursuit. You know, I don't care if it's carp, you know, it, it's carp, it's stripers, it's, you know, to actually be able to pursue them, watch them eat the fly and hunt them is a different thing. So that's what I really like doing. That's why I, you know, so, and, and what people don't realize is one of the big secrets up there for years is that I'm using a lot of the same stuff that I'm catching the permit and the bonefish and the tarpon on for the stripers. So I use wow. crab patterns a lot. I'm using crabs on permit, and I'm using the same crab on stripers. So really, you know, yeah. So everything you know, everything loves crab and shrimp. You know, so <laughs> I, I like it too. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, <laughs> so you know, so I use a lot, of, and and that's sort of one of the fun things that I've had over the years. You know, and you you mentioned earlier, I think you know, do you ever get bored of one? You know, it, I don't because I think I would if I was stuck in one place doing repetitive and everything else. But the sort of the fun of what I do is I get to go play with the stripers up north, and I get to do it in different environments. I get to pull from them early in the spring on the flats. Then I get to tease them later in the season and look for the big fish that have coming up the coast. And then in the fall, they all come back down the coast and you have these huge blitzes, you know, where you have massive schools of stripers off Montauk Point. So 
the diversity in the in the fishery up there is what makes it great. And then two months later, I turn around and I come down to the Florida Keys. Mm-hmm. And I guess my favorite fish down here, which I'm going to go in about an hour from now, is to go tarpon <laughs> fishing. You know, so yes. you know they're they're all challenging. They're all great, uh, but I have a real affinity for the tarpon. So. Um, so, but it, it, like the, the changeover is cool. You know, you get to many flies that I've thrown at fish down there. And I think, you know, I, I wonder if the stripers would like that and I'll take it up North and wham, <laughs> they just love it. You know? So that's what I sort of like is experimenting and seeing the, you know, uh, fish are fish and they eat different things, but you know, the similarities in a lot of instances are, you know, are very much alike. I know that we're kind of getting close on your time, but I would love to hear another Paul Dixon fishing story. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one. So living in the Hamptons and everything, you know, you you meet a lot of uh, uh, celebs and everything else. And, and I've been fortunate to fish with some pretty cool dudes, so to speak. So anyway, uh, I can tell you the first time that I met Jimmy Buffett. So Yes, please. I was pulling this guy on a place called Cartwright Shoal, which is off Gardner's Island, uh, up in, you know, near Montauk. And it's a private island, actually. So, uh, but I'd heard from a friend of mine uh, that Jimmy Buffett had moved into town, you know, and I thought, wow, Jimmy Buffett's come to the Hamptons, you know. So anyway, so, uh, so one day I'm pulling this flat and I'm going, you know, down the thing and we're looking for fish and, and the client turns around and he says, wow, what's that? And I look out in the distance and here comes this huge seaplane. And, uh, and I'm thinking, and my friend John uh, Applenap that actually, uh, his family owned walkers, they had a small seaplane and they would fly it back and forth to Connecticut. And I, I turned around and I said, I think that's my friend John, you know, and it flies. And then I said, you know something? That thing is much bigger than John's. And, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know, and I said, you know something? I just heard that Jimmy Buffett moved to town. Maybe that's Jimmy's plane. And sure enough, when it comes across, and you know, and it's about a half a mile out in front of us and, and, uh, and we see it go by and it crosses. And it's like, yep, I'll bet you that's Jimmy Buffett. So anyway, so we call in the flat, you know, and, and about five minutes later, I hear this, this sound and I'm like, what is that? You know, and I keep hearing it and it starts getting louder and louder. And, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, what is that? You know, and the next thing, this huge, it was called an albatross. It's a big seaplane and it comes 10 feet over our head. And the client and I are ducking on the deck as this thing roars over and um, it tips its ah. wing and it flares off in the distance. And I'm like, holy jeez, did you see? The guy's like, what the hell was that? And I said, Christ, you almost blew me off the platform. So I get home, and and that night I get a call from this uh, guy, Charlie, and he says, hey, Charlie, or he says, hey, Paul, were you pulling the flats at Cartwrights today? And I said, yeah, I was. And he said, well, did you see a, I said, yes, it was that Jimmy. He almost blew me off my platform. And he said, yeah, yeah, he saw you pulling and everything else. And he wants to go fishing. So I said, well, 
<laughs> tell him, okay, but next time, give me a heads up. Anyway, so uh, two days later, was uh, Jimmy came out, and, and we started fishing together. And he used to come in the this, this store, and I, I got a couple other Jimmy stories, but that's, that's how I met Jimmy Buffett. He almost blew me off my platform. Did he say anything about it? Was he like, hey, man, sorry about almost blowing you off your platform. Yeah, I just yeah, wanted to see know, how the day, You know, two days later, he's like, you know, really, man. I, I said, Jimmy, I swear to God, I thought it was. A, he said, yeah, I thought we might be a little low. You know, it's a big blank. <laughs> you know, when you see and it's a big lumbering, you know, it's, it's, it was cool. But, uh, but yeah, you know, Jimmy's a good guy. He's a good fisherman. He's a good guy. I would say, does he sing you Margaritaville while you're out there on the on the skiffs? No, no. We we usually talk. I'll, I'll tell you another quick Jimmy story, real quick. So yes. one day, I, I have this older guy. And he's 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 pretty pretty up there in age and everything else. So we're fishing the flats, and I'm I'm trying to move and catch tides, and I'm running down the coast, and I'm trying to move, trying to move, and everything else. And and so I said, you know, it's it's almost noon. I said, you know something, I'm going to go f- hit the flats right in front of Jimmy's house, uh, Jimmy Buffett's house, and he's like, oh. So uh, so I, I pull in front, and Jimmy had this beautiful, uh, you know, it almost looks like a southern plantation house, and it's got a dock, and he's got his own skiff, you know. So anyway, so I start pulling in front of the house, and I'm pulling down, and I see Jimmy come walking out the dock, and he waves and everything, and I'm almost up to his dock, and uh, he says, Paul, are you molesting my fish again? I said, I am, Jimmy. <laughs> so... Uh, so anyway, so we stop and we're at the dock. I said, I was just ready to have lunch. And he says, well, here, eat here. So we sat down at the dock and Jimmy sits on the dock and we're in the boat and we start having a sandwich. And we have a, you know, a bunch of mutual friends. And Jimmy had done his own motherships and everything else. So we're just talking and we're shooting the shit and, and just having a good old time. And finally I said, Jimmy, I got to get going here. We wrap up the sandwiches. And I'd introduce George, you know, and, and George, this is Jimmy Buffett, and and we all just you know like <laughs> had a great time. So uh, so Jimmy stands up. He said, "Yeah, I'm going to go surfing, Paul." Okay, man, I'll talk to you later. He said, "Leave my fish alone." I said, "All right, Jimmy, we'll see you." So I start <laughs> and I start puttering away, and the old guy turns around to me and he says, "Jimmy Buffett." I said, "Yeah, it's Jimmy Buffett." He said, "Is that Warren Buffett's son?" <laughs> and I, <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know, I told him. I said. Go back and ask your kids. Tell them you had lunch today with Jimmy Buffett. And he goes, oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I thought it was Warren Buffett's son. He calls me two days later and he said, oh, my God. He said, you couldn't believe what my kids, my kids were just ribbing me like, oh, my God. Please don't tell me. <laughs> anyway, so that's another Jimmy story. Oh, that is such an awesome story. Uh, so, Paul, tell me if people want to reach out to you, they want to know, they want to follow you, they want to know what you're up to, they want to know more about any awards are coming up or any, and maybe they want to go fishing with you. What's the best method of them reaching out to you? Well, you know, I mean, um, I'm, you know, like everybody on a website, uh, you know, I reluctantly went into, uh, you know, to, you know, to Instagram and some of the stuff, you know, Captain <laughs> Paul Dixon and, uh, you know, and it's fun. It's, you know, it's funny how social media you, you know, I've, I've hooked up with so many old friends that, 
that I thought had fallen off the face of the earth, even from my childhood. So I'm on there, but you know, flyfishingmontauk.com is my website and, and uh, you know, I'm readily available. Because once you're kind of in this industry for so long, you kind of have your clients, right? You're kind of like, well, this is my group of people and we, I take them fishing. And uh, do you take new clients all the time? You know, I do if I have time. But, uh, you yeah. know, that, that's the problem now is, is that I'm booked so far in advance. You know, my, already, you know, April, May, June, it's all gone. It's starting to fall yeah. and everything else. And so, you know, I, I, I get a lot of these companies now that call me and say, oh, you know, we'd like you to advertise on our websites and, and uh, you know, we'll, you know, whatever. And I, I tell them, I just, I, I can't do it. You know, and they're like, well, no, we're going to send you clients and we're going to send you customers. It's like, you know, I need more days, I, you know, because <laughs> I, I'm so booked. You know, my, my wife is telling me that, you, you know, you got to cut back. This is ridiculous. And, you know, and, and it does, it becomes a, you know, it's mm-hmm. a grind and everything. So, yes, I do. You know, usually in the summer is when I have some time in August and everything. The people that know, and especially with the sight fishing, you know, sight fishing for stripers is, is you know, getting booked already. That's, that's June and everything. The fall for the stripers is already getting, you know, done. My tarpon season, I don't have any dates. You know, they're all, every single one of them's booked. And that's how it is because, you know, the people follow you. You know, they, the, yeah. they come down here, you know, and they know the people that really fly fish and the, the guys that really know, they're booking 10, 15 days at a time. And they're saying, okay, give me five tarpon days, give me three flats days with stripers, and give me five fall days, you know. So, yeah it doesn't take a lot of clients, you know, I mean, uh, to, to fill the good times. Well, it's always a good thing too, right? Cause those clients are your friends and it's kind of makes it even more enjoyable to go fishing and do what you love to do. Cause you're hanging out with your friends now that you've done it for so long, but you're like, Hey, I'm actually going to go fishing now with my buddy. And um, yeah, I think that's just even cooler. It, it is. And you're right, Lauren. I mean, the, uh, that's the beauty of the whole thing is that, you know, some of these guys, I'm, you know, I'm staying at a house in Key West because I, there was a mix up in the house that I usually have. And it's owned by a friend of mine that bought a house down here because he came down with me and saw it and, and loved it so much. He bought a house. Well, he's in California right now and, you know, he couldn't make it. So he, you know, he's like, use my house. Don't worry about it. So it's it's the friendships and the stuff that you you know you, you make. And some of these guys, uh, you know, they couldn't cast when they when they first started coming with them, but they wanted to learn. You know, they wanted to yeah. get out there, and now they're awesome. You know, we're fishing <laughs> tournaments, or they're joining me here, and you know, they they got the bug and they got the passion and they learned. And you know, as I tell people. You know, if, if they really want to get into the game and you like what you see and everything else, then you got you got to treat it like golf or tennis and you've got to practice your game and you got to get good, yeah. you know, and they have. And so the guys that come in the, you know, the tarpon season in June and everything else, they're, you know, they're good. You know, they know the game and they want to play that game. And that's, that's yeah. what's fun. And they become really good buddies and good friends. So you're right. It's just like fishing with your friends. 
Well, I know, Paul, you are running. You have got to go fishing now. You have to get off this interview and go take your buddies fishing. So <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I look forward to, you know what, I, maybe I've never, I've never gone fishing in the Hamptons or in the Keys. So maybe I need to start making my advanced schedule and look at my calendar and reach out to you and go on the skiffs and go fishing with you. <laughs> well, you're welcome anytime. If you get out that way or whatever, come on out. And, yes. uh, and we'll, uh, I, I hear we have the, we've with, I think it's your husband and we have some mutual connections yes. in the past, it's you know? So crazy. I mean, it was interesting because you, the fly fishing community feels so huge. But then when you start talking to somebody, you're like, oh my gosh, wait. Yeah, Conway Bowman, Justin used to fly. Uh, he was a producer for, um, what is it, The Outfitters with Conway Bowman and um, fly fishing the world. And it's crazy that we haven't, like, we haven't met each other before because obviously we had the same circle of people. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. So bizarre. I've known Conway for a long time, and I actually heard about him through Nick Curcione in the beginning. And when they approached me about doing the thing for, I think it was the Ford uh, uh, Outfitters. Yeah. Outfitters. Yeah. And, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. That'll be fun. You know, my, and the reason that I thought it'd be fun is my family had the first Ford dealership in 1915 in California. And my grandfather swept the floors of Henry Ford and, and Henry Ford. No way. Yeah. So Henry Ford asked him and said, well, Jesse, what do you want to do with your life? And he said, I want to sell your cars out West. So they started this dealership and they were huge fishermen. I mean, big, he was, he used to fish with uh, Zane Gray and he fished with uh, Bing Crosby because they were so successful in the early days and it was all due to Ford. And so when when no. Ford, you know, just you know, just said, "Would you like to shoot a show?" It was like, and and weirdly enough, at the same time after I did that, Bill Ford and I became very good friends, and and he became a client because his family had a big place out in the Hamptons, and when he heard about me, he came, and so it's small world, isn't it? So crazy. Well, my grandfather started the first uh, Ford uh, dealership in Spooner, Wisconsin. And like the Northern Wisconsin was the first Ford dealership. What a small world. <laughs> wow. That's, it, is, so, it is. I know. We need, we definitely need to get this in the books and get together. Cause I can only imagine, and maybe we can have a sandwich with the, with your good old buddy over there. We won't say his name. <laughs> At least I'll know, I'll start singing Margaritaville. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at the February room .com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week. <laughs>